Okay, today we're going to be in Psalm 32, if you want to find your way there, Psalm 32. I'll give you a little backstory on that in just a second. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I'm from Kentucky. Uh, I don't know if that's something that I've ever, um, I, I don't brag about it or anything, but we have some really famous people from Kentucky, if you think about it. Um, Abe Lincoln, 16th President of the United States, um, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, he, um, he moved to Illinois for some reason, but he's born in Kentucky. Interestingly enough, he uh, was president alongside, uh, Jefferson Davis was the president of uh, the Union or the Confederacy, and so both presidents at the same time were from Kentucky. Uh, Jefferson Davis also from Kentucky. Um, we have some famous actors uh, from Kentucky, Johnny Depp, um, what's that guy's name? Uh, yeah, Clooney. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, pe some people say I look like George Clooney. Um, well, we're white and we have gray hair, uh, so almost identical. <clears throat> and uh, he's born in Kentucky, so he's probably a cousin. Uh, that's kind of how that works. Uh, Muhammad Ali, famous boxer. Um, some, maybe most, say the greatest fighter of all time. We have great singers. Um, Chris Stapleton, if you're a country music fan, he is a phenom. He's great. Uh, the middle guy there is um, Harlow. What's his last name? Jack Harlow. I know most of this crowd, you all are rap people, and so uh, uh, Jack Harlow is a rapper. You might be more like Lil Baby, but anyway, Jack Harlow is uh, a rapper. Loretta Lynn, you know her? I was born a coal miner's daughter. Uh, that, she's from the mountains of Kentucky. That's great. Uh, we have the Judds. All of them are from Kentucky. And Billy Ray, Achy Breaky Heart, Cyrus. So lots of famous people from Kentucky. My mother is here, also famous from Kentucky. Mom, wave, my mother. She gave birth to the second longest tenured pastor of Freedom Fellowship. That's me. And I'm sure, yeah, it is remarkable. I'm sure after the service, you're going to want to go tell her what a great job she did with me. Uh, so uh, thank you for that. Lest you think, oh, by the way, in comparison, I looked up famous people from South Carolina. Uh, you all have Hootie and Shoeless Joe Jackson, who cheated. Uh, so that's all I could find, really. Uh, you got, and, and the guy that invented the rubber band. Good for you. Uh, so uh, now... Lest you think everyone from Kentucky was good, uh, this is a picture of the McCoys. The Hatfields and McCoys. Are you related to some of those people, the Hatfields and McCoys? McCoys. You're, you're Kentucky people. I'll tell you the story. Yeah, okay. I heard that uh, going in today. So, Hatfields and McCoys, the, the uh, most famous feud in America began in the late 1800s, 1870-something, I think, 78, something like that. Okay, so uh, the Hatfields lived on the West Virginia side of this river, uh, the Big Sandy River, the West Virginia side. We separated from Kentucky. The McCoys lived on the Kentucky side. This is a picture of the McCoys. Fine-looking crew, uh, if you think about it. They're Kentucky people. They're, they're, 
there was a dispute over a hog, the ownership of a hog, and this dispute grew and grew and grew. You know, like with cattle, you brand them with hogs. I don't guess you do. And so they didn't know whose hog it was or somebody stole it. And over a run of about 25 years, 12 people lost their lives in the feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. Now, the Hatfields were led by a guy named Anderson Hatfield. Uh, it was said about him, this is a quote, he was six foot of the devil and 180 pounds of hell. So he was really, really rough. Uh, his nemesis on the McCoy side was named Randall. Except Anne's Hatfield, Mr. Hatfield, was eventually, he found Christ. And he was baptized and joined a church and started living a respectable life. And he offered and uh, received forgiveness. And so when he died, it said about him in his obituary that he um, died with a clear and forgiving conscience. Mr. McCoy, on the other hand, didn't die with a clear and forgiving conscience. In fact, it said about him that he was full of bitterness all of his life. And there's a difference when one uh, receives and accepts forgiveness than when one doesn't. Now, growing up in Kentucky, one of the things, one of our cash crops, especially when I was younger, it's not so much today, was tobacco, growing tobacco. And tobacco is a plant, and it grows tall, and when it gets a certain height, you take the top off of it so the leaves will expand. You want more leaf than, than height. And... Uh, it's a process. So these stalks grow in a row, and then uh, when it's harvest season, uh, you take a little axe and you cut these stalks off and you spear them onto um, a tobacco stick. You put five stalks per stick. You kind of leave them there in the field. Um, a tractor comes by with a wagon and you stack them on the wagon, and then you take them to the barn. This all happens late July, early August. Incredibly hot, okay? These barns that you put the tobacco in, they're quite tall. And there are basically, in the middle, there are six rows of beams. So you crawl up, you climb up in the top of the, of the barn, and you straddle one set of beams, and there's a set of beams above you, and somebody hands you up these tobacco sticks with five stalks on it, and there's, you have three levels, basically. There's a guy, and then a guy, and then another guy. So if you're on the bottom, you're handing them up until it's your turn to put the sticks on the, on the planks. So if you're in the top, it's great. You get your stick, and you put it here, and you spread it out, and then you get your stick, and you put it at your feet, and you spread it out, and then you back up, and you wait. Now, the older guys who are smart enough and brave enough go to the top. They have a third the work of the guy on the bottom. I was always on the bottom. I was the low, low guy on the, on the rung. And so you have to hand this tobacco up, and it kind of rakes your whole body as the guy above you grabs it. Tobacco is um, it, it's sticky. It, it gets in your eyes, so it stings. Uh, there are worms on it. Uh, these big green uh, worms get in your shirts. It's hot. I mean, you can imagine a barn that's painted black in August. There's no telling how hot it was in the top of those barns. There was nothing like the end of the day. You start early because you wanted to get, but we worked until we got done. There was nothing like the end of the day when you would go home and peel off your clothes 
and just stand in the shower and wash the tobacco away. Now, your experience might be different than that, but any really horrible job that you've ever had where uh, you have worked and worked and you get sweaty and, and dirty, there's, it's, it's the same experience. You can't wait to get home and wash away the filth. To wash it, just wash it away. And forgiveness is sort of like that. So today we're going to, it's not physically like that, but it's spiritually like that. So we're going to look at how to deal with sin. Now, let's recount the story of David. David in the Old Testament, he's uh, the king. Um, the, to be the king, you have privilege. Uh, one day, uh, he should have been with his armies at war. David is on top of the palace. He looks over. He sees a woman bathing. She is babelicious. Uh, he, he, he is attracted to her. He summons her to his room. I mean, nothing good is going to happen from this. This woman is married. Uh, he knows it. He brings her into his quarters. At the, at the very best, it's adultery. At the worst, it's worse. He engages in illicit activity with her. She becomes pregnant. There's a verse in Scripture, beware your sins find you out. She sends a message to him. Uh, dude, uh, I'm pregnant. It said, dude, I'm pregnant uh, in the Hebrew. Pretty sure. Now, David, if you've ever been caught in sin, you know that feeling. Um, looking at you, some of you know how this feels. You've been caught. You don't know what to do. Well, David is the king and he has resources. And... Bathsheba's wife is one of his best soldiers, a guy named Uriah. He, he's one of the best. And so David sends orders to his general to put Uriah where the fighting is fiercest. Now that's bad enough. That's really bad. You're kind of, you're, you're stacking the odds in your favor with that. But he did even more than that. Put Uriah where the fighting is fiercest and then pull away from him and leave him exposed. It's not murder, but it's about murder. And this is who David is. This is what he did. And it's in Scripture. Now, he's confronted. He confesses. Uh, the 51st Psalm, we're not going to look at that today, but that is, most scholars believe, what he writes as soon as he receives forgiveness from God. He, he repents, he asks forgiveness. 51st Psalm is raw. It is really raw. And this is kind of all just happened. Well, the 32nd Psalm, which is what we're going to look at today, most scholars believe it's when David has had a chance to get away from that, some time past that. He committed the sin. It's egregious what he did. He is confronted and confesses. He writes the 51st Psalm. And then a while later, he has a chance to, to reflect, to think. Wow, that whole thing, <laughs> that was bad, what I did. 
And that whole forgiveness thing, that was good, what, what God did. And, and so, the, this psalm is a lot like David saying, okay, I did this wicked, wicked thing. And this is what it feels like to be forgiven. Now, for me, the most interesting thing about the 32nd Psalm is how it's written. I want you to really think about it. Okay. In the Old Testament, you could be forgiven of sins, but there was a specific thing, um, a specific uh, system that was in place where your sins were forgiven. Uh, you would offer a sacrifice, an animal would be, uh, would be uh, offered, would be killed, their blood would be taken, the animal's blood would be taken, and your forgiveness was, was based on uh, the blood being sprinkled on, in the Holy of Holies on uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant. This was, there was a way to be forgiven, but it was mechanical. It was a system. Well, in this psalm, David doesn't say anything about that. It is almost as if David writes a New Testament psalm and they put it in the Old Testament. Because what you're going to see is how David feels about being forgiven. He, he has a certain feeling about it. Now the thing about forgiveness is this. It is great and God offers it. We're going to see it in just a second. But there are nuances to it. And some of forgiveness, some of the, the beauty and the greatness of forgiveness is you get, to, you, you get to take advantage of all of it. It's all available. When we went to Switzerland, we rented a car. Uh, I forget what it was, but it was really cool and it had a lot of features. And it's features I don't have on my car. And so one day I pushed a button and I didn't know what it was, and all of a sudden my steering wheel got hot. It had a heated steering wheel, which is great, except in the summer, it's stupid. Uh, so I turned that off, but it was a feature I didn't know. It was great. It had those um, sensors, so if somebody's in your blind spot, and, and we have a name for those people in Kentucky, losers, uh, if they're in your blind spot, then you don't change lanes. Uh, I, I don't have that on my car. <laughs> I just swerve. But no, uh, there, there are sensors for that. It was great. It had cruise control. I do have cruise control, but this cruise control uh, had a sensor so that you wouldn't get too, car, too close to the car in front of you. And you could set it for however, what distance you wanted. So uh, I, I could be really far away or really, really close, but I never would get, uh, it would break for me. It braked for me. It was great. It was great. I took a nap. Uh, it was awesome. It has a sensor for that too. It said, wake up. Uh, the sensor said, wake up. It, it literally speaks out loud. Uh, it appears that you're tired. Well, yeah, because you're doing all the driving is what I wanted to say to it. Now, forgiveness, there, there are these features to forgiveness that are awesome that we should really take advantage of. So let's talk about forgiveness for a little bit. First thing, forgiveness is available to you. Good news is good news because it's good news for you. If somebody's offering something for free, well, that's okay. But if they're offering it for free for you, well, well forgiveness can be yours. And anybody that's ever gone through any recovery, um, drug addiction or alcohol addiction or porn addiction or whatever addiction, anybody that's ever gone through recovery, they'll tell you the first step is to admit you have a problem. 
St. Augustine was this brilliant thinker uh, back in the 300s. Brilliant. He he was a phenom. Just kind of really, really smart. He was probably also from Kentucky. uh, And really, really smart. And he said this. He said, the beginning of wisdom is to know oneself to be a sinner. It's not all of who we are. We're just not all sinful. We're not. Com- uh, what I mean is, we're all sinful. We're not completely sinful, but we're some sinful. Some people are more sinful than somebody else. So what I want you to do right now, we're going to do an exercise. I want you to look to the person to your left or to your right, unless you're a husband. Do this. Look to the person to your left and to your right and say you're a sinner unless you're a husband. And now, you know what you do? Shut up, okay? So do it right now. Say you're a sinner to the people around you. It's okay. All right, all right. Now now say me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you call them a sinner. You know what they know? They know it. We, we all kind of know it. So, David has committed this heinous sin, which led to a second heinous sin. And then he receives forgiveness. And he thinks about it, he reflects on it, and then he writes this. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And this is a guy who's experienced it. Oh, what joy for those who've experienced it. And it's really, really interesting. You don't have to know the Hebrew to read the Old Testament, and you don't have to know the Greek to read the New Testament, but sometimes there are nuances in the way it's written that you could, it, it's kind of cool to point out. Let me, let me point out a couple of things here. He uses three different words, David does, when he writes this. By the way, when you look at a psalm at the beginning, this one says, a psalm of David. David didn't write them all, but he wrote a lot of them. This is a psalm he wrote. And he uses three different words for sin. The first is pasha. Uh, Not to be confused with pasha, uh, which I sometimes say. Pasha. It is literally, it literally means there is a sign that you ignore. So you go to a place and it says no trespassing, and you say to yourself, well, that certainly doesn't apply to me. And you do it anyway. Uh, pasha, pasha is I'm going to ignore the, 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 uh, the law, basically. I, I know what the law is and I'm going to ignore it. The second one is shata. It means um, Somebody has, my boss has told me what to do, but I'm not going to do it. It's not law, it's instruction, and I choose to not live by the instruction. So, where Pasha, it has a motto, and the motto is, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Shata is a different motto. The motto would be uh, something like, um, you're not the boss of me. Now, Anon is a different kind of sin. That is... You know what to do, but you choose not to. So you're given an opportunity to help somebody. You sort of feel like God is saying, I should help somebody, and you choose not to help them. The, the motto of the Anon people would be, when we sin that way, would be, um, it's not my responsibility. 
Well, it's not. It doesn't have to be your responsibility. If God leads you to do it, you should do it. So some of this is sin of commission. I've committed the sin. Some of it is of omission. Uh, there was something I knew to do, but I didn't do it. So David is saying, hey, man, the bad news is we're all sinful. Uh, John said the same thing in the New Testament. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. There's bad news. We're sinners. There's good news. We can be forgiven. See, the truth of the matter is, sin is a disease from which we all need to be cured. I heard about a guy, he went on an exotic vacation in an exotic land. Kind of Nobody ever goes there, but he went. And when he got back, he got deathly sick. He goes to the, to the ER. Um, they start to run some tests. And the next thing he knows, he wakes up in a, in a hospital room and he goes to the door and it's locked from the outside, which would be incredibly frightening. He hears the phone ring. He goes over. The doctor says, where have you been? And he tells him, he goes, oh, you have probably this. And it's, as far as we know, incurable. And we really kind of don't know what to do. And the guy in the room is, you know, he's, he's beside himself. And the doctor says, okay, well, here's how we're going to treat you. We're going to put you on a diet of pizza, pancakes, tortilla, and pita bread. And the guy goes, well, will that cure me? And he, the doctor said, no, but it's the only stuff we can get under the door. I know that's gold. Uh, that is gold. Now, it says, oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Put out of sight. When I'm driving a car, uh, occasionally my check engine light will come on. I hate that light. You know what that light means? It means you're going to pay some money. I, I, it helps my prayer life because I will pray, Lord, I don't deserve a check engine light. I deserve not a check engine light. Uh, please take this check engine light away. And as I, I do that as I'm driving with my eyes closed. That's probably not the best way to pray. And I open my eyes, and it's still on. So I have a hack, if that happens for you. Uh, it's called black tape. And uh, you take a little piece of black tape, and you put it over it. Now your sin is covered. Your check engine light is covered. Well, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about literally covering it forever. It's really great language. Miriam and I moved to a house one time, and she, we had a red wall. There was a red accent wall, and we decided to paint that over that. And by we, I mean Miriam decided that we should paint over that. I like a red wall. Don't, don't you? I mean, a red wall, it's an accent. It's nice. It means something. And uh, I was ready to stay with it, but no, we had to paint over it. So on the fourth coat of paint... I decided I probably should ask somebody how to paint over a red wall. So I go to the dude at the paint store and I said, we're trying to paint over a red wall. And he goes, yeah, it's tough. I like, I know, I know. I'm experiencing that. What should I do? He said, well, what kind of base you got on that paint? Well, 
Uh, it was a mist tent, uh, so I don't really know what kind of base. Is it a base A or a base Q4790? I was like, I don't know. I don't, did you know there were bases to paint? Who knows? So he said, all right, what you need is the base XT59 or whatever, you know, and, and he mixes me up some XT59. That's not exactly what it was, but it's something like that. And he said, this will cover your red paint. I'm skeptical because I've, I've got four coats on there. And I went home and we painted it with the XT59 or whatever, and he covered it. And when God covers our sin, it covers it completely. In, in fact, it is one of the greatest things about God forgiving our sins. He, he covers it completely. One of the problems for us, I'm going to get to this verse in a second. One of the problems for us is this. We've been lied to. We've been lied to. And when something seems too good to be true, you want to know the truth of the matter is? If you've lived long enough, you know if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. The other day, uh, we were looking for a table or something, and this ad came up, and it was like, hey, this is a, a table th that uh, is made of oak, and it's $7. And I'm like, oh, my word, $7. I sent the picture to Miriam. And, and, you know, hey, look, there's a $7 oak table. It wasn't exactly that, but something like that. This is great. We should get this. This is great. And she, Miriam, I don't know if you have realized, but she's really much smarter than me. And she, like, clicked on the link, you know, and investigated. And she said, this is a scam. And in between the lines, there were the words, uh, you dolt. Uh, I could, I could kind of, I, I knew what she was thinking. And she said, she said, this is a scam. Today you hear that God will forgive all of your sins. He'll cover it completely. And we have a life experience that tells us we've been lied to. We've been lied to by employers, employees. We've been lied to by pastors. We've been lied to by a spouse. We've been lied to by teachers. Sometimes they intend to. Sometimes it just doesn't work out the way they think it should. But we've been lied to. And so David is saying, there's nothing better than having all of your sins forgiven. And we say to ourselves, well, yeah, but that's too good to be true. And in Matthew chapter 9, there's this story. There's a guy, he has a son, the son is sick. He goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal my son. And Jesus responds, everything is possible if you believe. And this is what the guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> I believe as far as I can. I believe as much of that as I can, but it still seems too good to be true. And today you might be in the room and you're hearing the preacher say, all of your sins can be forgiven. And you're saying, well, I believe, kinda, sorta, some. But there's gotta be a catch, because there's always a catch. 
Except, in this case, there's not a catch. And this is the promise of Jesus, of the Lord. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our sins from us. East is that way. All right, let's do a little... I'll see how smart you are. If I head east... Like, in just a second, when the sermon is over, I'm going to walk east. And I walk east. When do I start walking west if I go that way? You never go west. You're always going east if you're going east. It's called going east. And so, God is saying, look, as far as the east is from the west, this is a promise You've been lied to, but not by God. He's not lied to us about this. Now, David says, oh, there is incredible joy when your sins are forgiven. But he warns us of unconfessed sin. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Obviously, David had never been to South Carolina because we have a way of, of marrying uh, water and summer heat. So not, uh, this is more of an arid uh, situation when he says this. But you get the picture, right? David is using physical imagery for how his soul felt. I melted, basically, I melted away. And some of us in here have felt this. The, the burden of guilt. There, there's, there was a point in my life where I, I was so burdened by my sin that I literally play, prayed for God to take my life. Lord, I, I can't live with this. Well, David, that's David. I, I couldn't live with it. He's saying, I can't live with this. It was just too much. It was just too much. So, forgiveness is possible, but if you don't accept it, you don't ask for it, it's bad. So, you come completely clean. Look what he says. Finally, I confessed three really important words. All my sin. There's been recent research done around this that talks about the feeling one feels, the euphoric feeling one feels when they confess all of their sin. That is not there if they only confess part of their sin. The Harvard Business Review summarized the research like this. Confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt, but only it only works if you confess all your sin. If only you tell the whole truth. David was like, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide them. And I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. Most likely he's talking about the 51st Psalm. You need to read that. That is David with a broken heart confessing to God what he has done. It is, like I say, it's raw. And you forgave all my guilt is gone. I confessed all my sin. All my guilt is gone. He uses those words 
strategically. So then he encourages us. Therefore, let the godly confess their rebellion to you while there is still time. I was visiting in the hospital many years ago, and there was a, a bin for documents, a shredding, like a document shredding bin. And you would put medical records or whatever in this bin, and they had a little slogan on the side of it. And the slogan said, our business is to keep your business your business. Brilliant. It was a great slogan. Once you put that document into the bin, nobody would ever see it again. And once we confess our sin, God separates it as far as the east is from the west. Now, perhaps the toughest part of forgiveness, receiving it, is to let it go. If you've done something I mean, it doesn't even have to be like what David did, uh, but you are, are, are have this guilt about it. Sometimes we like to nurse the guilt. We kind of like to think about the guilt. Oh, this, you know, this is the person I am, and, and I don't know how God forgave me. And sometimes people will bring it up. They'll bring up your guilt. And the letting go is tough. It's tough to let go of a grudge or a, or a sin or a guilt. There were these two sisters, Alice and Mildred. And they had gotten along pretty good, but then one day they get into a conflict and they, they're, they're on the outs for 40 years. Alice and Mildred don't talk. And then Mildred gets sick and she's in the hospital and, and somebody tells Alice, hey, your sister doesn't have long to live. So Alice goes to the hospital room and Mildred's asleep and she wakes up and Alice is there and, and she kind of motions her over. And she said, Alice, I'm glad you're here. And if I pass away, all is forgiven. But if I get better, we're going to go back the way it was. Because we like it. We kind of like that stuff. Well, so David says to God, he's, this is the prayer, you are my hiding place, you protect me from trouble. Too many times we think that means God will never let us have trouble. It's not what it says. You will protect me from trouble. Kind of in the midst of trouble, with trouble around me. Think of a storm shelter. Uh, you're in the shelter, you're protected, there's trouble all around. Jesus, in fact, said, in this world you will have trouble. I've got about six verses I've used a thousand times in sermons, and this is one of them. Because too many times we think that God is some genie in a bottle, and if we rub his belly, he'll do what we ask him to do, and we'll, never, we'll always be healthy, wealthy, wise, and rich. And that's just not the promise. In fact, those who teach that, who preach that, have to somehow get around this verse. I mean, Jesus didn't stutter. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I'll be with you. There's a valley of the shadow of death. Well, I'll walk through it with you. There's tough stuff that's going to happen. Look, David, ask forgiveness. There are consequences to your sin. David had a son named Absalom who basically stole the kingdom from him before he was killed. He had a son who rebelled and took his kingdom away. He had an infant son who died in infancy. Uh, he had a wife who didn't respect him. 
He had political enemies who used these things that he did against him. He's not saying, I never went through trouble, because he couldn't say it with a good conscience. He was saying, God is my protection in those times. Then he says this, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway in your life. You ask forgiveness and you alter your course. There might be consequences. You alter your course. I'll advise you and watch over you, God says. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule. There's a really you know, strategic, it's strategic that he said mule. Because what is the expression you're stubborn as? A mule. And sometimes we're stubborn. Don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Don't be like that. God wants to lead you. So accept the forgiveness and move on. Accept forgiveness and move on. Should we learn from our past sins? Absolutely. Should we do our best to avoid ever doing them again? Absolutely. Should we dwell on them today? Absolutely not. No. Your past is your past. Look at what he says. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surround those who trust the Lord. So, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey Him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. There's this really interesting story. In 1830, there was a guy named George Wilson. George Wilson, he uh, was robbing a, a mail uh, car in a train. Uh, and in the process of the robbery, he shot and killed one of the workers on the train. He was convicted of this uh, act of murder and was sentenced to be hanged. Now, at the time, there was a president. His name was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson heard of the story, and he issued a pardon for George Wilson. Where the story gets really interesting is George Wilson decided not to accept the pardon. Well, now nobody knew what to do because the president had pardoned him, but George Wilson said, I don't want to be pardoned. So there were, there were, were legal wranglings around this. It eventually went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court Chief Justice was named Marshall, and he says... A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. Look, a pardon is no good unless you accept it. Today, God says to you, I will forgive all of your sins, no matter what they are. I think David is a great, great for us to think about because, man, he really sinned. It's not like he, he, he stole a Twinkie, you know, uh, from the uh, five and dime. He, he, he did grievous sins. A pardon is only good if you accept it. Today, the Lord is saying, I'll forgive all your sins, but you have to ask. And then once you've accepted the pardon, live in the freedom of the pardon. Elise is a senior this year. She's my, uh, our last daughter at home. And one of the things they let her do at her school is paint her parking place. I've got a picture of it. That's her. That's her parking place. 
Oh, she's sweet. She takes after her dad. So we had to buy paint. Have you bought paint lately? It's $7,000 a gallon. I mean, I can't believe how expensive it is. So I was in a store right before she was going to paint, and there was a, a, a store that had a line of paint that they were discontinuing, and it was 50% off. So I was going to try to talk her into some mist tints, but now it's 50% off. We can get the color she wants at 50% off. We only had to take one extra mortgage out to, to pay for the paint. And so we go to the store. Now you'll see the blue we needed a gallon, the yellow only we needed a quart, and, and the black we only needed a quart. So this line of paint, 50% off, we get the gallon of blue, the quart of yellow, the quart of black. We go up to the counter, we put our three cans of paint on the counter, she rings them up at full price. So I said, uh, th those are, the reason we bought those is that they're 50% off. And she's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're 50% off, they really are. I don't think so. Well, I, I don't know, but there's signs up that say 50% off. I'm going to call the paint dude. So she called the paint dude. His name? The paint dude. Uh, it's interesting. Hey, paint dude, come here. Paint dude comes over. She said, this guy, this is what, I'm now this guy. This guy says these are 50% off. That's my uh, voice for a, a lady. This guy uh, says these are 50% off. He's like, uh, well, that one is. Like, they all are. There's a sign that says, this brand paint that you're discontinuing is 50% off. I don't know about that. It's like, well, why don't we go walk over there and see? All right. It's like, okay. We walk over there. Guess what? They were all 50% off. But they stole my joy of the bargain. They stole it. Because they acted like I was trying to get over on them. I wasn't, I'm not going to cheat you. I'm not lying about 50% off. I read the sign. I asked the dude. Oh, yeah, it's all 50%. It's like, okay, well, then why don't you know this? You work here. There are going to be times in your life where you have received the forgiveness of God. And there are going to be people who want to steal your joy. They're going to bring it up, what you did your past, why you should feel guilty. I think David talks about the joy of forgiveness so much in this. If David was here today, I, I believe he would say, don't let them steal your joy. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people think. That joy is yours. And it is a gift from God. And you live in the joy of His forgiveness. Because He wants you to. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the forgiveness that You give us. Thank You for caring so much about us that you'll forgive all of our sin, any of our sin, every one of our sins. I pray, Lord, that we would live in the joy of forgiveness. I pray that on my friends in this room today, in Jesus' name.
Amen.